0: Psalm for this morning is Psalm 81. Sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a just decree of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to continue with the the work we're doing uh, this Pentecost, which is reading the whole story of the Bible as one story. And of course, we're not reading uh, every single word in there. That'd be impossible. But we're hitting the big points, the, the, the skeleton of the whole thing. And if we get the skeleton, it makes it easier to read it and fill in, uh, fill in the meat while you're reading. So we talked about uh, the covenant that God made with Abraham last Sunday. Today we come to uh, Passover and the Ten Commandments. Um, there's two wrong ways Two roughly, there's two wrong ways to think about the Ten Commandments. Uh, one is that it's just kind of nonsense, you know, like the, the notion that there's, there's a couple different ways that you can say they're not important, they're, they're not that big of a deal. Uh, one way is, is a non-believing, a non-Christian way, which is to say the idea of a God like, who would tell me what to do, the, the idea of a God who has rules that I'm supposed to obey is at best silly, at worst, it's offensive. There's a Christian version of this, which is the 10 commandments are there. They're important, but after all, we're Christians. Like we're we're saved, we're forgiven. So you kind of do what you want and then you pray to be forgiven if you need to. That's another option. And that's just two very big ends of the spectrum there. There's a lot of that in between there. A lot of different options for thinking about the Ten Commandments in between there in terms of not thinking that they're very serious, not taking them seriously. The other option, of course, is to take them too seriously, is to think that somehow I've got to be good. I need to be a good person in order for God to like me. I have to like do these good deeds in order to bribe God. So how are we supposed to think about the Ten Commandments in a way that I'm going to argue that we should take them seriously, but that we shouldn't put the weight on them of them being a, a, a bribe towards God. The best way to do that is to talk about the Ten Commandments in terms of the story, to look at the Ten Commandments in the entire story of, of the Bible. Another way to say it is this. If the Ten Commandments, I mean, the Ten Commandments are important, right? Why, why is the Bible waiting 70 chapters to give us the Ten Commandments? It seems like if that's kind of like, what does God want me to do? Okay, the Ten Commandments. Like, tell me that up front. That should be in chapter one. That should be like right in the flyleaf. It's like r- r- right along with the, the forward. Here's what God wants you to do. Why is it 70 chapters in that we finally get the Ten Commandments? All right. So let's think about that this morning. Um, the way to do this, like I said, is to review, and I know that this explanation is getting longer every time we add on more chapters of the story but let me, if I can, as quickly as I can, kind of reset where we've been in the story of the Bible so far uh, the past few months. God created this beautiful world. He loved it. He filled it with humans. He wanted to be filled with humans who would love each other and love him and love and care for the environment. That's the world that God created that he wanted. We humans have done a magnificent job of screwing the whole thing up by rebelling against him, and by doing that, we fracture our relationship with each other, even our closest friends, there's barriers there, there's inconsistencies there, there's awkwardnesses there, there's little tiny bitter jealousies, even with the best of friends, sometimes with the best of friends, but more, more than other people. There's a gap between us and God, whether you're an atheist in here or whether like, you're the most devout religious person ever. Every single one of you, if you were honest, you would say, I don't always know that God's listening to me, I don't always know that he's there, of course, if you're an atheist, you would say, I don't think he's there at all. But, but everybody agrees that if there is a God, there's a gap between us and him. There's a gap between what God has called us to do to care for the environment, to care for our creation, and the way it's been cared for by human beings. This is a result of the fall. Adam and Eve rebel against God. You and I share in that. We don't obey the 10 commandments. We don't, we don't do what God wants us to do. And as a result, everything falls apart, including ourselves. We are all on the path to death. We're all going to die someday. And God tells us at the very beginning, if you mess this up, you, it's, it's not a punishment. It's not like God saying, I'll kill you if you don't do what I tell you to do. He says, if you, if, you, if you mess up with the way the machine works, the machine will break down. If we mess up with the way that God's designed us to work, eventually we break down. So that's where, that, that's where we started with. And this is Genesis 1 through uh, 3. God makes a promise, though, that I'm not going to leave it like this. I love you guys and I love my creation too much to leave it like this. And he determines that he's going to repair it. In the past couple of weeks, we looked at how he starts off doing that. And his first move in repairing the creation and the relationships and the beings that we screwed up, the first thing he does is call this guy Abraham and say, I'm gonna use you to reverse the curse. I'm gonna use you to reverse whatever the bad things that humans have done. Abraham, Abraham, he doesn't know how this is going to happen, because Abraham's kind of a screwed up guy himself. If you read the story of Abraham, he does a bunch of things wrong, he messes up a bunch of people's lives, including his own. But God says, I'm going to use you and your children someday to fix the whole world. And that's where we ended last time. God promised that with a covenant. Now, fast forward 400 years, one week in our, in, in, in our time, 400 years in the Bible story, and Abraham's family has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. They've grown into a significant ethnic minority and they've moved to Egypt for reasons that if you know the story, you know. If you don't, you should read Genesis. They're in Egypt and like oppressive governments tend to do to ethnic minorities, they become enslaved and they long to be freed and God comes to free them and the way he does that is what we read today, Passover. He comes up with this plan to get them out of Egypt to turn them from slaves into a free nation. And he does it with this weird system where he says, I want you to barbecue an animal. And before you're done slaughtering it, I want you to paint the blood from that animal on the door of your house. And everybody who believes that I'm the one true God will do this. Everybody who refuses to believe that I'm the one true God won't do this. And when I come through, I'm gonna execute judgment on all the fake gods by killing the firstborn of everybody who hasn't done this, whatever. Jew, uh, Israeli, Egyptians. We know later on in the story there are some Egyptians who did this, who painted the blood on their door and participated in this. I will rescue Now, we're gonna come back to that in a minute. Why would a God kill people like that? We'll come back to that in a minute. So I I don't wanna just leave that there. But this is what happens. They paint the blood on their doorpost. God comes through. He sees that a death has already happened to cover this house. No more deaths need to happen at this house. And he redeems his people and gets them out of Egypt. And then, and then, he gives them the Ten Commandments. A month or so later, he gives them the Ten Commandments, uh, eight chapters later in, in the Bible. And only then, all right, what does this mean? It means this, that covenant... Covenant precedes commandment. Covenant comes first. God says, you're my people. I'm bought in on you. I'm going to come up with a system to rescue you. And then after that, he gives them commandments. Only after that. Relationship precedes requirements. God says, you and I are in a relationship. And then he gives them the requirements, how he wants them to act, the Ten Commandments. The relationship comes first and then the commandments. All right, does this make sense? Some of you have heard this before, especially my youth confirmation students. We just talked about this last week because we just started talking about Ten Commandments. I apologize to you guys for hearing my stories over and over again, but I'm going to do this for those of you who haven't heard it yet. For those of you who have, maybe it's a nice refresher. We have rules in my house. Um, I said that like I'm an authoritarian. We don't have a lot of rules in my house, and I'm bad at enforcing them, and I'm even worse at breaking them. But one of the rules that we have, which is probably a rule that you guys have at your house too, is it doesn't get broken a lot, but when it does get broken, it's kind of weird and it, like, it, it, it sends a chill through the whole house. We don't raise our voices at each other in anger. You don't yell at people in, your, in our house. I break this rule. I, I, can, tell, I can tell you uh, uh, stories of having to go to Harry or having to go to Kate and I can't remember if I've ever yelled at Reeve. She usually doesn't do things that you would want to yell at. Harry and Kate do all the time. I go to Harry and Kate, and I'll, I'll, I'll lose it. And they're not listening. They're not listening to my normal voice. I do my, my, you know, Robert Young, Father Knows Best impression. They don't respond to that. I do my wise philosopher. Let me give you, like, three different intricate reasons why you should do what I'm telling you to do. They don't fall for that. And so the final, the, my last resort is I just blow up. You know, it doesn't accomplish anything. It just scares them, right? It's it's a rule. I've broken that rule. It's a house rule. And when I break it, it's bad. But here's the deal. When I have broken this rule, not one time have Angela and the kids got together and said, we voted, you're out. You can't live here anymore. You're not our father anymore. I'm not married to you anymore. They've never done that. They've never done that. There's a flip side to this too. You could come over and eat dinner with me and that would be nice if you would do that. Consider that an invitation. And if you did, and we ate dinner and we talked and maybe watched a a baseball game or something like that, and then at the end of the evening on your way out, if you said, hey, wait wait just a second, I got a question for you. I, I didn't raise my voice one time at anybody this evening. Can I be in your family? I would say you're not really understanding house rules. Like that's, you can't be in my family just because you didn't raise your voice. To be in my family, you have to be married to me and one of my kids. That's the way it works. So, so why is it that we think that somehow, this is the I'll say the, this is the wrong way to think of the Ten Commandments. Like you can't keep the Ten Commandments to get into the family of God. That's not the way house rules work. Also, If you're in the the family, breaking the commandments doesn't kick you out. That's not the way house rules work. And if you think about the Ten Commandments as a way to get in or a way to stay in once you're in, you're completely misunderstanding what the Ten Commandments are for. Relationship precedes requirement. Covenant precedes commandment. The covenant is first, and that is set in stone. You're a family member. You're one of my kids. You're always one of my kids. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you keep the rules or you don't keep the rules, you're in. Now, does that mean that the house rules are not important? Of course not. This would be bad news. If I said, this is my house, you're married to me, you're my kids, I'll yell whenever I want. Well, what I I would be saying is, is that I don't care about the house rules because I know that you can't kick me out and that I'm in here, and so I just get to do what I want. That would also be a misunderstanding of the house rules. Instead, the house rules are there to say, this is not the way your house is designed, designed to work, Aaron. And when you break those house rules, what do you do? Do you kick that, do I sleep in the driveway? No, what I do is, is I go to Harry and I say, I raise my voice, and that was wrong. It treated you as less than human. It treated me, I acted less than human. I hurt you, I created a barrier there. Will you please forgive me? Harry says yes, and we grow and we move forward. That's what the house rules are for. That's what the Ten Commandments are for. God gave us the Ten Commandments not to earn his favor, but because we already have God's favor. And here's here's another place where the story comes in. Because if God's goal is to recreate this world where he had designed us humans to lovingly care for creation, to lovingly care for each other, and to lovingly worship him, then what he's doing when he calls Israel on Passover and what he's doing when he's called us is to say, this is how I want you, I want you guys to act like Adam and Eve were supposed to act but didn't. That's what the rules are there for. Listen, we're we're not, you're not saved so that you can go and sleep with your stepmom. That's the 1 Corinthians 5 error. We're not saved so we can just do what we want. We're saved because God wants this world to work the way he designed it to work, and he's called us to do that. He's empowered us to do that, and he gives us the Ten Commandments to say, here's the house rules. You disobey these, repent, ask forgiveness, get back in line, but you'll always be my kids. You'll always be my children. Now, that raises a question. How do we get to be God's children? How do we get to be in God's family, right? Didn't answer that question yet. So let's go back to Passover for this. Because if Passover is if the moment where God says, now you are a people, I'm your God, you're my people, you're my nation, we can go back to Passover and find out how to do this. And I told you a little bit ago that I was going to talk about why at Passover, uh, why would God say, I'm going to kill these people, the firstborn of these people. And I remember uh, my, my, my daughter, Kate, the first time that she watched, um, I mean, she grew up in church, right? but the first time she watched the Disney movie, the the cartoon about Moses and the Exodus, and I I don't remember what the name of it is, but there's a scene in there where the firstborn of those who don't believe in God die, and she was a little kid, and she was just shocked by the horror of it. So Let let me say this. God doesn't kill people like we kill ourselves. It's one way to look at it. Like God said, if you disobey me, you're going to introduce death in the world. And, and I, I, it's spoiler alert, we all die. Like every single one of us, it's going to come true. I yell at my kids. I'm greedy. I'm lazy. I'm full of lust. I'm full of like self-importance. Even when I'm preaching and I'm supposed to be doing something super Christian, I think of myself as more important than you guys. It's more important that how I appear than how... God is benefiting you through his word to me when I'm preaching? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a walking dead person. I'm going to die. And I'm going to die because I'm a dead person. Is that unfair? It's, it's, it's the way it works. Like if you put the battery backward in the remote control, it's not going to work. And you can shake your fist at the universe and say, this isn't unfair. The remote's... Designed to work with the battery that certain way. And if you don't follow the rules, the remote doesn't work. And that's what we've done. We haven't followed the rules, and now it doesn't work. It's not unfair. I'll I'll give you another reason why it's not unfair. It's because the notion that, the the other thing behind this is this, this, the notion that it's unfair is this view of God that he's up there, and he's kind of zapping people that disagree with him. And he's doing mean things to people who don't believe in him. So, so first of all, everybody dies. Everybody gets the penalty of sin. Second of all, and here's the best part. There's a clue of this in the Passover story, which is you can get out of it. You can get out of the death part if you can find a substitute who will do it for you. See, see God's gonna, he's gonna take all the firstborn in Egypt and Israel. But he comes up with a plan to find a substitute for those who believe in him it's it's awkward and it's not it's it's a picture it does, it's, a lamb can't actually pay the price for us but somehow it does in this story somehow the blood of the lamb says somebody's already died here for this family they're free to go somehow the blood of the lamb does this and so they do it and it works and they don't know exactly what it means in the story and like every sunday i've got to scoot forward in the story a little bit to make sense of where we're at in the story now i'm going to do that right now in the epistle reading that we just read it was talking about that guy who was sleeping with his stepmom paul basically says don't do that and he doesn't say don't do that because god's going to blow you up if you don't do that he doesn't say don't do that because that's not nice and you're hurting people he doesn't say that, don't do that because that's gross and icky and we shouldn't do it. He doesn't say that. He says this, don't do that. And his reason is this, for Christ, this is in the, this is in the epistle reading in the bulletin, verse seven, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity. See what Paul says? Christ is the real Passover lamb. And this is why, I mean, you can say it's not fair that people die. It's not fair that God judges sin. But at the end of the day, and we could talk, we have a long conversation about that. But at the end of the day, one way I can tell you that fairness is the wrong way to look at it, the question of fairness or unfairness, is because God did not stay up in heaven saying, I'm going to zap people who disagree with me. God became a human being. He loved us so much that he became a human being so that he himself could pay the price for us. See, the, the penalty for you and I disobeying God, for you and I disobeying the Ten Commandments is death. God knows we can't pay that. You die and You're dead. But God can pay that. See, it has to be a human being to pay it because human beings are the ones who screwed creation up. But only God has the power to pay it, eat the penalty, and still survive. And so God comes up with this plan where he himself becomes a human being, pays the penalty of death for our sins, and comes back to life, reintroducing into the whole game the life principle, the power of life, the power of resurrection, the power to take care of the universe like we were called to do the power to love each other selflessly like we are called to do, the power to worship God like we were called to do. But it's only because Jesus died and rose from the dead that makes that happen. So we respond to that. For those of you who are Christians, for those of you who aren't believers, I would just say, look at that. Think about that. Think about what your hope is going to be. Think about, if it is true that death does work in the world and that you are gonna die, contemplate whether that's gonna happen or not, what are your options? What do you do? Eat, drink, and be merry? Or do you have some sort of plan to have some sort of life reintroduced into your existence? Jesus is the only option that I know of who has the power to do that. For Christians, we respond to the love and sacrifice of Jesus for us. We respond to that with thankfulness and praise and obedience. And that's where the Ten Commandments come in. Look, I should not yell at Harry, why? Well, because it's a rule, and I don't wanna get kicked out of the house, no. I shouldn't yell at Harry, why? Because I love him, because I love him. So let's imagine, real quick, we'll be done in a second. Let's imagine that you had this massive credit card debt, and probably some of you don't have to imagine that. So this massive credit card debt, it just like hangs over your head all the time. You can't do things that you wanna do, You get the bill in the mail and you can't even open it up for month to month. You put it off because you can't even think about it. Now, let's suppose that somebody that you know decides to come along and say, hey, I know you've got credit card debt. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to pay all of it off. Let's just suppose that somebody decided to do that. It's a dream scenario, right? What would your move right after that be? Would you be like, sweet, let's go shopping. That would be the wrong move. That would not be, first of all, it would be damaging to you to jump right back into the slavery that you've just been freed from. Second of all, it wouldn't be a response, it would be taking for granted this incredible gift. It would be taking for granted, especially this person who loved you enough to sacrifice to make this gift for you. So, so Christians, do you understand? This is why we keep the Ten Commandments, not because we're earning God's favor, not because we have to be scared he's going to blow us up because he loved us enough to free us from the slavery that the Ten Commandments are warning us from. We respond to him with praise, thankfulness, and obedience. By God's grace, it doesn't earn us anything. He's already earned all of it. It doesn't get us into the family. He's already won that for us. It doesn't make him love us more. He already loves us infinitely. It just says, thank you for being my God. Thank you for making me your guy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, work in our hearts to see a vision of the love that you have for us in your son, Jesus Christ, a vision in your word so powerful that it moves us to, th- to, to praise and thanksgiving and renew to obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.